Okay. Are we ready? Yeah. Welcome to Pop to the Lou, where we share hilarious, embarrassing, heartbreaking, and inspiring stories of life with IBD. We will hopefully make you laugh, cry, and probably speechless, like Sarah is most of the time when I'm telling my stories. Hello, and welcome to episode seven of Pop to the Lou. Today, we are going to be talking about relationships and friendships. But first, as always, we'll do our mind and gut check-in. Would you like to go, babe? Yeah, definitely. So. Oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I got a bit ahead of myself last week, I think, Sarah. So I was giving it the spiel. I've had a month off booze. I'm going to go until crimbo. How do you sleep at night with all that rosé you're drinking? (laughs) (laughs) so everyone within 24 hours of filming that episode (laughs) that lasted a long time I was drinking tequila shots um with some of my friends celebrating one of my closest friends birthdays so yeah calm as a bitch (laughs) (laughs) it did sound like you were hurting a little bit oh my goodness I would like to add, I haven't drank tequila since my early 20s and I'm 37. (laughs) So it was a long time ago. I felt that pain. Um, Yeah, that was pretty dark. Anyway, were you dancing on any tabletops? No, but you know, when you're hungover and your friends start sending you pictures and videos and you start piecing the night together and they make your beer fear worse. There's, There's loads of videos of us like I actually shared one on Instagram as well. So thank God that was only up for 24 hours. I apologize for all of our singing, by the way. But we were in like really quiet, like that restaurant, which I shared for my friend's birthday. People were having really like intimate dinners around us and we're screeching happy birthday. It's so embarrassing. Our poor Uber driver as well. Can't remember the Uber whatsoever, but that rating will be significantly lower as of last weekend. And we would, there's loads of videos of us dancing in this pub and uh, yeah, there's no dance floor and everyone else around us is having a quiet pint in the background. So yeah, anyway, back to that. I feel too sharp (laughs) last weekend completely self-inflicted um and yeah so I'd like given it all that last week my stomach's really settled I'm feeling raring to go and yeah tequila is not the one people Uh, so my stomach wasn't too great on Saturday I just felt a bit crap for a few days so yeah I'm I'm all right now (laughs) it is Wednesday night (laughs) yeah exactly it is Wednesday um but yeah it's just a reminder isn't it like you feel on top of the world and then you have you know a few tequilas and I obviously had a few Negronis my go-to drink and uh yeah it annihilated me so that has definitely impacted my gut and psychological health this week sir how about you it was more than a few babe (laughs) (laughs) let's be honest (laughs) I did I did the classic as well of doing a runner you know when you like don't want to tell your mates you're leaving because they'll be like I did a runner because I woke up to messages babe where are you and I obviously had literally done a runner home 
<laughs> so nothing changes the older you get. <laughs> well, you had fun. So that's all that matters. It was fun. I am exhausted. And I know I don't need a lecture. I know I need to go get my iron checked. I know I need an infusion. I still don't feel like doing it. So everyone gets to listen to me moan. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh, it is getting to the point though. It's not only affecting me physically, but also mentally. And I am so drained. So yeah, I'll deal with that at some point. But yeah, I haven't other than that. Like, I haven't seen you this burnt out in a long time. I think it's yeah, I think it's definitely the iron because I can just tell the classic symptoms, but then also I I think I hit a wall with everything that was going on. Um so yeah, I definitely feel burnt out, but this is next level exhaustion. Um and just you get the head rush and there's the classic symptoms and unfortunately it doesn't matter how much um, iron rich foods I eat. I just can't absorb it for whatever reason. Can imagine yeah. why. Um, <laughs> so it's a great part of IBD. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually more linked to celiac, um, uh, to yeah, honest, for sure. which I also have. So yeah, anyways, we'll deal with that at some point, but other than that, like I'm fine. And yeah, I had a pretty good weekend, not too many hangovers. I actually started <laughs> All right. Just rub it in. <laughs> no hangover whatsoever. I switched to drinking. We went out Sunday night just for um, a drink by the water. And I drank vodka even before we left. I'm like, I'm only drinking vodka. Do not let me get rosé. And it's just a world of difference. Vodka does not bother me at all. So I'm going to live it up and stick to that. Perfect there. I love your responsible <laughs> drinking promotion here. <laughs> also, our weekly gratitude. So this week, we thought we'd do a shout out to all of the men around the world that have been whoop, whoop. participating in Movember and everyone that's been donating. So we just wanted to do a very big thank you to that. And there are some close friends of ours that have been raising money over the past month. If you did want to donate, then you can do so through the links in our bio. Uh, in addition to Sarah's weekly gratitude, I'd like to do a shout out to everyone um, that is having a particularly shit week this week. As I've noticed, quite a lot of people are in hospital, quite a lot of people are having MRIs or investigations and or other intrusive kind of medical treatment plans, etc. So yeah, just a huge shout out to you guys. Um, we're sending loads of love and yeah, we're thinking of you all. So Sarah, we've had some awesome questions through our Instagram community that we are going to talk about today with regards to managing relationships and friendships while you have an IBD. So in addition to the questions that our Instagram followers, followers have asked us, I also sent a little text out to a couple of my buddies last night and a couple of my ex-boyfriends who I'm obviously on good terms with. <laughs> um, to see if there was kind of any feedback in relation to being friends or going out with someone with an IBD. And I had some really cute responses, actually. But obviously, the one I'm going to start out with is from our wonderful Sam. <laughs> oh, I didn't know Sam. Oh, okay, I'm excited. <clears throat> He's going to tear us apart. So I got this reply within two seconds of sending him the text. <laughs> so he would like 
everyone to know the experience he's had with living with two females with IBD. I quote, (laughs) I have lived with two girls with IBD, Kat and Sarah, and the only symptom I can put together from their IBD is them complaining about their boyfriends constantly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I love him. (laughs) So I messaged him saying, I don't think you've understood the question. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks for your contribution, mate. (laughs) So apparently that's a significant symptom of someone with an inflammatory bowel disease. And Sarah and I constantly complain about our boyfriends. So, yeah, does anyone else have that symptom with their IBD? Reach out. (laughs) Let's find out if there's any treatment plans for that symptom. I can't say that he's wrong, um, at least from the conversations him and I would have. But he found it entertaining. So that was literally the first response. So I literally can start laughing. Now that we've uh, taken on some feedback from Sam. (laughs) (laughs) I don't plan on changing. So (laughs) Um, number one, has your illness ever resulted in a relationship breakdown? So no, I wouldn't say my illness um, has caused a relationship breakdown. I would say that me being a terrible girlfriend <laughs> has caused <laughs> my relationship breakdowns. Oh, I'm just, I'm just a, I'm a terrible girlfriend. Not, not in the, you know, ways that people are terrible girlfriends usually. I just mean I'm, I'm not the best girlfriend. Like, I work too many hours. I've got a very close knit group of friends who any man always struggles with because we are so involved in each other's lives it's insane um I really like my own company so I don't like living with people (laughs) and I don't like spending a lot of time with people so apparently when you're in a relationship with said person it's really difficult (laughs) um so yeah I unfortunately haven't not unfortunately but you know what I mean I haven't got a story to tell um, anything juicy anyway that it results from uh, my IBD which is obviously very nice and no one's going to have wanted to have a, a breakdown from from an IBD um, but interestingly I do I have spoken to someone recently about um, relationship breakdowns and IBD and they made a really good point point. and um, this is a guy who's got an IBD and he made a really really good point and it kind of ties in with our last week's episode of men's mental health and he said that he had, he had quite a few relationship breakdowns because of his IBD. And it wasn't their reaction to the IBD. It was more of a reaction that he felt he couldn't talk about the IBD very openly. And he said he genuinely feels kind of as a guy, you kind of have to hold that down a bit and hold it together more. So you're less likely to kind of be open about how you're feeling about an illness. And what he said really interested me was he pushed his partners away as a result of that so he didn't communicate he wasn't open and he kind of pushed them away and that resulted in relationship breakdowns so I found that really interesting and we were talking about it um yeah a couple of days ago um and it's a it's an interesting take on it because I can imagine that happens a lot I can definitely relate I spoke about it in episode three I believe in terms of being with somebody when I was first diagnosed and we were it's a relatively new relationship and he just never had a chance to actually get to know me as somebody that 
well, just as a person that I actually am, because I was so sick and so anemic, I could barely function. I just, I was not in a good headspace, and I hadn't accepted still not sure if I have, um, the fact that I am sick and the ways that it does impact my life. So I didn't even have the means to communicate what I was going through because I was still processing it. And to be honest, I think at the time, obviously I was a bit hurt as much as I could be being that sick to like kind of process what was happening. But I think it was for the best because I needed that time alone to really figure out what this new life of mine was and who I was and how it impacted every aspect. So no regrets whatsoever, but I can definitely understand how hard it is to communicate something that you're going through. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because when you're in a relationship and you're, and you get an illness, again, it's, it's going back to what we were talking about before set is it easier to have had the illness before you meet someone so for example I've had it since I was a kid so everyone I've dated all of them (laughs) all of the many men I've had my illness so you know I wasn't being diagnosed during dating someone I you know I wasn't a different person before and then they're getting to know someone a little bit different after you know is that easier Mm. than being with someone and then being diagnosed and then that partner kind of going through that journey with you while you're, like you said, accepting your illness and, and well, getting to know your illness really, isn't it? Yeah. So it's really, there's, there's so many variables. Cause if we had been together long enough, we weren't in the early stages of dating. It probably would have looked a little different, but being a new relationship, not really knowing each other on a deep level to try and make that work whilst I'm dealing with this massive change in my life and trying to keep it together day by day. Like it just, there was no hope. However, now I'm, and though I'm moaning about being exhausted and so on, more or less I am myself uh, just with no energy. Um, But if I was to be dating somebody now, and then let's say a year from now, I go into a flare. Like I also know what's to come. So I know what my symptoms are like. I know what kind of medication I need to be getting. I know what tests I'm going to go through so I can communicate that better with them. And I think, well, now that we have a podcast, I mean, it's really going to be hard to hide it. So (laughs) I would just send them the podcast. Be like, here, go figure it out. Come back to me with questions. If you listen to episode two, 50 minutes in, (laughs) I answer that question. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Take some notes. Uh, But, you know, definitely. I think it just depends on the type of relationship you have, the type of person that they are. There's so many different variables, but I think at the end of the day, being vulnerable is always the way to go. And if that's not the right person for you, then you'll find out. And yeah, absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. And also I'm a big believer when you become ill or if you go through a really dark time or traumatic time, it's those people that go through that with you that will stick. Do you know what I mean? Like we all know, don't we? There's people that kind of go a bit off radar when you're going through something. And then there's people that literally check in all the time. They can't, you know, offer to do enough for you. And it's those people that I think, you know, you've got to hold on to in your life, isn't it? Partners, friends, whoever, work colleagues. Uh, And I think when you go through illness or something really difficult, those people shine, don't they? In a nutshell. Definitely. Question number two, how have your friends handled the periods of time that you've been in a flare? Yeah. So I think I've touched on this before. I've been 
I think I've been really fortunate probably because I've had my illness for so long that kind of my old school friends have just known me for 25 something years with this so they've seen quite a lot of flare-ups they know what I can eat what I can't eat they know to bring the peppermint tea around hot water bottle they know not to talk to me when I've got like my you know the face when you're breathing through that pain and you can't talk they're like okay cool Cass is like dealing with some like horrendous stabbing pain right now so they're really my especially my school friends they are so awesome because they have literally lived with this for like 25 years. Um, and yeah, they're, they're wicked. Like it was quite funny. One of the, um, one of the feedbacks I got from one of my best mates last night was we've been buddies since we were about 14 and he made a good point. He said, I'll never forget your gluten-free products when we were at school. And he said, they used to be so horrific. (laughs) And he said that, and I forgot this, he said, we used to eat the gluten-free bread with you to make you feel like we're all having a gluten-free sandwich. Oh. And he said, the bread was rank, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and he just likened it to like a brick. And it was because this, this was like, what was this? Like, is this late 90s? Yeah, this is late 90s, like early 2000s, where there was like one type of gluten-free bread in England, you know, maybe two. And it was so, it was literally rock solid and you had to toast it to make it taste all right for a sandwich. So yeah, that's my buddy, Joel. He reminded me last night, mate, we always used to have these gluten-free sandwiches with you, but we all used to say they were so rank, but you know, (laughs) you were so happy that we're all having a sandwich with that is so sweet I love that yeah so yeah I think you know I I think the the I think if you're really open with your friends about what helps what doesn't help a bit like with your partners isn't it they get to know and same again like if you have friends that are just useless (laughs) within those situations you know um, I think it's a bit more of a reflection on them not in a horrible way um, but I mean, I think some people genuinely don't understand the illness sometimes and don't know how to approach it. I was talking to someone about this the other day. They were saying that they'd be, felt really let down by someone um, when they'd gone through something really traumatic and, and they hadn't heard from them, a really good friend. And I said, I guess being objective, I think sometimes some people don't know what to say and they, they worry that they're going to say something wrong or insensitive or make it feel worse, make you feel worse. Or if they haven't spoken to you in a while, it's a bit awkward and you know, something like that. And I, ju- and I did say that to her. I said, sometimes people just don't know what to say. And we know just a, hey, how you doing is awesome. Like hearing from people's wicked and it makes you feel better. Um, but I think sometimes with illness, some people genuinely don't know what to say. And it's, it's not, a, you know, it's, it's not because they're not bad, they're, bad, they're bad people. It's because they just don't know what to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course, definitely. And I don't, I think my friends for the most part have been fine. I just don't really talk about it. So (laughs) they don't really know. And even just from having the podcast out, I've had a few, quite a few friends reach out and be like, I had no idea it was ever that bad because I just never told them about all the hospital visits and how sick I was and all the medications and stuff. I kept everything. And even if I say like, oh, I'm in pain, it's, it's a pain that you can't describe unless you've had it. It's so hard to comprehend that 
there's just no understanding, which is great because I don't want anybody to have to experience that kind of pain, but it is a really hard because it is such a hidden illness. Most of the time, it's so hard to actually describe to other people for them to sympathize with it. So I think it's just about being clear and communicating when you are feeling sick and you just need space and like explaining like I'm canceling and I don't, I'm not coming out, but that's not anything to do with you. That's because I'm sick and I need this time. Yeah. And I think just being really clear about your boundaries and how you're feeling is probably the best way to go about it. Definitely. And I think you're right, Sarah, like if you can't do something, maybe arrange something else that kind of suits what you can do during your flare up, isn't it? So you might not be able to go out and drink tequila like I bloody did on Friday night, but you might be able to stay in get some nice food, whatever it might be, just chill in your onesie, watching some good films. So it's, 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 it's not cutting yourself off from your loved ones, isn't it? I think that's really important um, because sometimes I think when we're ill, we naturally do that and we don't mean to, but yeah. we're, with, we're within our comfort space, aren't we? We want to be at home. We want to be by the loo. We do not want to be walking or driving anywhere. So actually like we've got a bit of a safe haven within our home, haven't we? But you know, if you can get your friends around, and have like a lovely little chilled evening or, you know, staying with your partner as opposed to going out. It's, it's, it's having that quality time still, but just tweaking it in relation to how you're feeling with your illness, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And when I started to get sick last year, that was exactly what we did. I had friends, had friends come over and we just like lie on my couch, watch movies, um, who I was dating at the time. We spent a lot of time just at his, just relaxing, sitting by the beach, just taking it really easy, not doing anything extravagant which is good I mean it's just nice to be around people and feel like you have that company of people that understand so the next question's quite well no it's not quite similar but it's a little bit similar to the kind of the first two I guess but do you feel your friends and partner understand your illness no (laughs) (laughs) savage (laughs) Jesus, for all of Sarah's ex-partners and friends listening. (laughs) She said that with a smile on her face. (laughs) I don't think it's something people can understand unless they experience it. Because not only do the symptoms have a physical effect on your body, it definitely has a mental effect on your body. It, It just impacts every aspect of your life. And in all honesty, I if, if I didn't have this disease and somebody explained it to me in all the general terms that it's been explained and you can read all the papers and whatever the medical definitions of it, you still can't comprehend, or I wouldn't have been able to comprehend the extent of it without actually experiencing it. So no, I I really don't think that someone that doesn't have it or even, even people with the same disease don't understand it completely because you have different experiences. And I can't understand um, some of the more extreme cases because I haven't been there and I wouldn't claim to know what they've gone through because I haven't gone through it. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's just having that compassion for people and recognizing that you, you don't understand it or you can't comprehend it completely, but you're there for them. Absolutely. And I think if I like tweaked that question a little bit, I'd probably say the same as you said, I don't think my friends and family and, and previous partners have necessarily understood the illness um, because they, they haven't 
the experience, you know, the, the illness themselves. And I think it, all of us, we can't, it's really difficult to kind of empathize some, sometimes with something you haven't been through or experienced yourself, isn't it? You can be sympathetic and really kind and compassionate about something, but you might not understand fully how that person's feeling physically or psychologically. I mean, I guess what I would probably say to that question is I feel that my friend's and previous partners have been really understanding towards my illness and have been really awesome and compassionate and thoughtful um, and just, you know, really supportive. Um, but yeah, the, the, the actual kind of understanding of the illness. And I'm, I'm similar to you, Seth. Like I, you know, apart from obviously on the podcast, I haven't necessarily like spoken loads about my, my illness previously. So the, my friends and partners wouldn't necessarily understand the illness because I don't really discuss it at length um, mm-hmm. up until you know now that we're doing this so you know they wouldn't have any reasons to understand it um, so yeah it's, it's a hard one to answer but yeah I, I probably um, echo what you say Sarah they wouldn't necessarily understand it but not because they're not trying to but they're very understanding yes definitely yeah there's definitely a difference between understanding what you're going through and just yeah what you said (laughs) (laughs) on a roll we're on a roll today we're on a roll and do you have any funny dating experiences or stories well I obviously have a few (laughs) (laughs) shocking (laughs) I mean everyone that follows us on Instagram will have seen the onesie video yeah, that's one of my favorites. I think if you haven't seen it already, go and check out our Instagram account at pop to the loo podcast. And it's labeled the onesie. <laughs> uh, another story is one of my wonderful ex-boyfriends who is a very good friend of mine now. You'll see a theme, guys. Like I <laughs> literally 80% of zoned. My, yeah, 80% <laughs> of my ex-boyfriends are literally best friends of mine now. Um, because I'm a terrible girlfriend and a really good friend. <laughs> the other 20%, I was that bad a girlfriend. They were like, nah, we're not being buddies. But one of my boyfriends many, many years ago, who's a yeah, very close friend of mine now, had cooked the most amazing Valentine's dinner. I am the most unromantic person ever. Like, I hate Valentine's Day. I never know when an anniversary is. Like, I'm... You don't like Valentine's Day? I hate Valentine's Day. It's really shit, Sarah. Don't get me started on it. What a wait. What's Valentine's Day? Flowers, chocolate, pink. Amazing. Who are you talking to here? (laughs) Well, we know you like chocolate brownies. (laughs) I love flowers. Like, my argument is, though, when, when you're with someone... I might have been quite fortunate. I don't know. But when I, my previous boyfriends have usually bought me flowers regularly. I don't need to. I don't need to wait for a day once a year for those bollocks flowers oh, that cost yeah. a fortune. No, and I those... don't care about the um, whole love aspect of Valentine's Day. But everything's the pink. <laughs> There's flowers everywhere, and you get to eat chocolate. Yeah, I guess I'm just not. growing up as a kid, like we always got presents. Like my mom always made Valentine's Day like a thing since we were young. We'd get gifts and chocolate and whatever. So in my mind, I was never like waiting around for a boyfriend to buy me anything. I was spoiled from like a child. Um, and then like giving out Valentine's Day cards to your friends in elementary school and all of that. I like to throw dinner parties now on Valentine's Day. Anyways, complete well, sidetrack. Right. I'll I'll come to that. Yeah. But I'm not okay. I'm not a romantic person. Like hello, like 
you guys are getting to know me now. This is my wor- anything romantic is my worst nightmare. Oh, and God, something always goes wrong whenever it's a romantic <laughs> night for me. It always goes wrong. Case in point, on Valentine's Day, many years ago, my boyfriend at the time cooked a beautiful meal, gorgeous meal. I remember it now. Steak, you know, home cooked chips, beautiful salad, all the trimmings. But for some reason, and I just to pre warn, I could not eat fruit at the time. Like I couldn't even smell fruit because I would be ill. For some reason, he's <laughs> it's an ongoing joke now, but he squirted loads of lemon on the salad. And I think in the sauce on the steak, I, did, I can't remember at the time. He's going to tell me off because I'm going to tell the story wrong. But he squirted a load of um, lemon juice on this beautiful meal. And he had this whole night book. So this beautiful um, meal. And then he'd actually bought tickets to a drum and bass night because he knows wow. I love drum and bass. So yeah, legend, absolutely legend. But <laughs> within like an hour of eating that dinner, I was so effing ill I was literally just in the toilet for hours and I, I could, didn't make it to the, I didn't make it to the drum and bass night. I don't even think I left the bathroom. I was just so ill. Um, and he was like, obviously like, he was like, oh my God, he, like, he kept saying I poisoned you. I was like, you haven't poisoned me. <laughs> he hasn't put anthrax in my meal. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just can't because I remember after the meal I was like thinking because I can always eat steak and chips that's like my safe meal when I'm out so I was thinking like what's he put like on this and then when he said yeah I've like put lemon juice I was like oh mate oh, but yeah I was so ill like I pfft, yeah the Valentine's evening was completely cancelled um following that bless him thanks mate I know you're listening so it was a great thought <laughs> For the first time ever, I have a somewhat similar story. Um, Yay! Somewhat similar. But I was living in London and had just started seeing this guy. And I think it must have been like our third or fourth date. And he invited me to go back to, he was French, invited me to go back to France with him for Easter and spend the weekend with his family. And obviously I said yes, because I rarely turned down a trip to France. And, uh, (laughs) but because of where we are going, we're going to Normandy. So it just made more sense to take the ferry across rather than flying just anyways, um, just for logistics. And I was completely fine on the way there and like ate obviously a bunch of food and it was amazing and so on. But then I don't know what I ate. I can't even remember. Um, but I ate something at his house, like at his parents' house at night before we left to take the ferry back to, back to England. And because it was an overnight ferry, and I think I had to go back to work the next day or something, I'd taken a long weekend. We got a, like a room, um, on the ferry and it was a tiny room, just like a bed and you get like a (laughs) tiny bathroom. Sounds horrific for anyone with an (laughs) IPT. We were just lying there watching a movie on the laptop, whatever. And then I was like, I feel sick, like nauseous, sick. And I have been known from time to time to throw up. I can't, I honestly don't remember what medication I would have been on medication at that point, but I can't remember what all I was on. And 
I just went to the washroom and started vomiting my guts out. And obviously like, it's so awkward when people can hear you vomiting. Um, especially someone again, don't really know that well. Um, we're good friends now, but at the time, um, although he still makes fun of me for it. So, (laughs) um, and then he, he was so worried because I was just like, I was so sick. He went and got like the medical nurse from the boat to come and (laughs) check on me. And I think they gave me some kind of medication. And then obviously we're stuck in this like small room that now smells like my vomit um, for the rest Sarah of the trip. Sarah had the first aider <laughs> in the room. It was so horrible. So, yeah, that was fun. You think and it then... was, you know, sometimes when you're ner- like, you know, when you meet your like boyfriends, families for the first time, it is a little bit nerve wracking, isn't it? Because you're like, especially for me, I'm was... like, I don't want to be myself we too much. <laughs> No, because we were there for like four days and this was like on the way home, like after meeting them, spending all the time with them, they're lovely. So lovely. And the thing is they barely spoke French or they barely spoke English. I don't speak French. So it wasn't that intimidating. (laughs) (laughs) We made an effort. (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't know what it was. It must've been something I ate with a mixture of my medication that I was on at the time because I was sick and yeah, that was not pleasant. So how do you manage kind of attending social events if you've got that kind of anxiety around the drive and whether there'll be toilets, you know, whether in the restaurant or at someone's house, et cetera? Is there any, is there any ways you manage that, Sarah? Or is there any, any times you can, can remember that that's impacted your social life or, inc- you know, inclusion and stuff? I will just limit what I eat. And probably not the healthiest answer. Again, don't do what I tell you, but that's probably how I've been able to manage my body. So if I am having any nerves or, but yeah, just feeling a bit anxious about a situation, I just, if I'm in a flare, obviously, um, I just won't eat. Yeah. You have something easy that's digested easier, basically, won't you? Whether it's like peppermint teas or shakes or anything. I will just, no, I'll just avoid eating altogether. So I'll have like, and I avoid um, just anything that's going to be harsh on my stomach. So if I do need to eat something, if I've been out all day, I'll keep it to like white carbs for quite a while. When I'd go out to eat, Mm. I would just order white rice and salmon grilled, absolutely nothing on it. Uh, So finding the things that, you know, won't upset your stomach and you feel comfortable with, and then just limiting my food intake so that I don't feel heavy. I don't feel bloated. I'm the same as you saying that I just, I'll I'll plan something accordingly. So if I know I'm going out for someone's birthday and I really don't, you know, it's really important for everyone to, I know it's really easy to say, still do the things you enjoy. And we know when we're feeling really ill, the likelihood of that happening is slim to none. But it is really important to try and do as much as you possibly can. And I think with me, I'm again, I'm probably so used to doing it now because it's been so long. I just plan as much as I possibly can. So, for example, if I'm going out, I'll always check out the menu of the restaurant I'm going to and see what foods is on there. See if they've got like a gluten free menu. But I'll usually know what I'm ordering before I get there so that that's kind of in my head all sorted. And I know that, you know, I don't like to be that person that's you know, asking for separate menus or anything like that as such, but I will, if I know it's there. So I'll have a little look beforehand. Um, if I'm going to someone's house, like obviously people that know me now know that I can't have wheat. 
Um, so they know with, with cooking and stuff, I guess uh, the thing I always find a little bit awkward, if I'm honest, is when, you know, we were just talking about meeting your boyfriend's parents for the first time. <laughs> you sound like children, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> going over to Mrs. So-and-so's. I find it really awkward when I'm going over to people I don't know. That's what I find really quite stressful because I don't like being that person saying, oh, I'm gluten free. And then you don't want to give them your life story either, do you? Because you might think they might be thinking, oh, Christ, blah, blah, blah. So I think previously when I've been with partners, I've kind of just reminded them to just make sure they know I'm gluten-free, um, like in a nice way, if that makes sense. Because I'll never forget meeting one of my ex-boyfriend's parents. This was years ago. And he didn't tell them I was gluten-free. I turned up and it was like a family event and I couldn't eat anything. Like literally, I think I could have eaten like some rocket salad. <laughs> but everything else was pastry or pasta or breads or deep fried and I just, I, I, I'm sure no one noticed, but I just felt like an absolute dick because I was stood there with a drink and like a plate with whatever I could eat, which was literally one of the foods on the, on the table. So I just felt really uncomfortable. So I think it's just making sure you plan those events, isn't it? So if you're going out, check out the menu and website. If you're going around to a friend, just make sure that they know you're gluten-free. And also I always offer to take stuff because I'm really oh, conscious. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really conscious that gluten-free stuff, dairy-free stuff, vegan stuff, whatever, it can be more expensive than the non-gluten whatever items. So I've always said, if I'm going around to my friends and I know they're doing a spaghetti bolognese, do you want me to bring my own spaghetti? And similarly, like I always, Sam, our friend in London, he always says I turn up to his house looking like I'm going camping. <laughs> And it's because I always turn up with a loaf of bread for my bacon butty in the morning. And like, I usually bring my oat milk and, you know, some snacks and stuff. And he always says, I look ridiculous coming through the door. It's like, it looks like he doesn't feed me. But obviously I just, I'm conscious that like yeah. our loaves of bread are like four quid. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of money. I don't expect other people to buy that sort of stuff. So yeah, planning it, organizing it, offering to take some food over if you're going to someone's like, house for dinner or whatever I always do that and I think with regards to the journey and toilet I was talking to someone about this the other day actually she's she's not actually leaving the house much because she's dreading the car journey so much and she actually says she's got a really bad stomach she actually said her anxiety about leaving the home is making her so ill when she's driving that she's stopped going out at the moment so that must be so so difficult I think the advice I would give with that is the longer you don't go out the worse it's going to be in relation to your anxiety so you you need to do a bit of graded exposure even if you drive around the block and you know that the safety of your toilet is going to be at home within two minutes yeah. do that and start really small because I think when you start used to when you get used to not going out and not and used to not socializing it can be a really vicious cycle impact your confidence make your anxiety worse etc so start small you know, especially if you're really ill at the moment and you know you can't go out and have like a lovely, lovely dinner um, because you don't know the impact it's going to have on your stomach. Maybe start smaller, somewhere close to home so that you can actually go home and use the toilet if you need to. Maybe go to a cafe rather than at night, you know, just start small and then hopefully you'll build your confidence in, in socializing again. But I would say, please, please don't isolate yourself because 
you're in the long run it will just make you feel so much worse and and you'll feel so frustrated with your illness that is taking over and we don't want that to happen at all hope that's answered the question I think so Cass no this one's for you (laughs) Tell us another story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, something's going Um, on with my Zoom. (laughs) So you were obviously diagnosed quite young. Um, How did you find the children at your school and how they understood your illness? Because children can generally be less understanding than adults regarding illness, especially ones that are hidden. Oh, I like this question. I really like this question. So I think I touched on it in my story episode. I was really lucky that when I went back to school after I was in hospital with my Crohn's disease, um, I went back with Ensures, my miracle drinks, as I call them. So I was drinking Ensure drinks uh, for months when I first got um, discharged. So my friends got used to me drinking those Ensures really, really quickly. So I would just sit in the canteen with them drinking my Ensures. And I think at the time... I didn't need to explain it really. I can't remember having to explain it. I just remember saying like, I've not been very well. I'm back now and I've got to be careful about certain foods and I've just got to drink these drinks for a while. So they were sound. I think my mates were were happier that I was back and playing sport because like I've said previously, millions of times, you know, I was on all the teams and it's when you, when you're part of sports teams, like you're a family, aren't you? Like, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm a really like a feisty sportswoman and, you know, I've, I've got the, the, the teams and the games are probably a lot quieter without me <laughs> around giving the referees a load of stick. So, so I think they were really happy I was back. And I guess, I guess even going into my teenage years as such, you know, teenagers aren't the most accepting or nice of individuals, are they? Sometimes they can be a bit mean. But again, I think I was really fortunate with my kind of group of friends um, and that they kind of absorbed um, that I was gluten free. And so, you know, if we were going to go out for some food or have pizzas around at their their mum's houses and stuff, we would just have something a little bit different for me. (laughs) Like, you know, like I said earlier, like back in the day, just some minging pizza base (laughs) that no one really liked, but they ate it because, you know, it made me feel a bit better. Um, but yeah, the, to be honest, I had, I had a, I had a, you know, really, really pleasant experience with my particular peers at school. Um, I didn't feel any different. I still, you know, engaged in everything. I just, you know, like I said, I was still drinking those Ensure drinks. Um, yeah. So that was my experience. I was, was really lucky. Do you know what? I probably would advise a bit like I've just said about making sure you include yourself and things as an adult I think I would advise the parents to do the same for their children so I think what what happens sometimes when children have got illnesses is they naturally start to to isolate themselves because they can't engage in certain things so whether it's sport or music or school or play dates out of school or being able to do stuff out of school and that naturally impacts your friendships doesn't it And it might impact your academia. It might impact, you know, your ability to engage in activity you absolutely love and have done since being a really young child. So probably the advice I would give to parents is please continue to include your children and um, 
and really encourage your children to do everything they want to do if they need to do it in a slightly different way facilitate that like I just said about the food stuff if you've got your kids on a really restricted diet and you're really worried about them maybe going to a party or even having a party because of the food situation still go but maybe either take your own stuff or speak to the other parents or make it a positive thing that someone's gluten-free or dairy-free like don't enhance that kind of isolation of that child trying to make sure that they are included and potentially playing sports or doing other things that they're interested in maybe they want to take up more art and drawing classes or anything really maybe they're interested in science more it doesn't have to be sports but finding a hobby and something that they're really passionate about I think is really healthy something they can focus their attention on other than just being sick and I think it's I think parents probably struggle with it more than the children themselves sometimes because it's yeah it must be so awful for a parent to have children with illnesses like I know my mum struggled with it um especially when I was having really severe pain and she knew she couldn't she couldn't even hug me because she couldn't touch me when I was having that pain and yeah I would just say to I I would also recommend to the parents I know my mum didn't have this but reach out to other people that are in your um, situation because the more people you talk to who are in your situation with anything in life, isn't it? They're going to have some really awesome advice and tips and scenarios that they can tell you that they've done and they can tell you it either didn't work at all. And it was an absolute shit show. Don't do that. Or they can say, you know, we did this at a party for our kids. It was awesome. You know, and I think it's, it's going back to what we said in last week's episode, isn't it? Sometimes you love your family and friends but because they haven't been through something. They can't advise you on it. But if you talk to other people, you know, if you build a, a kind of different community, especially to do with this particular thing, you will find like-minded parents who are really struggling because their children have got the same illness, illness to yours. And they do X, Y, and Z to support their children with that. And I think that's really, really important, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good call in terms of finding that community and that network. How do you deal with people who are judgmental about your dietary restrictions? I love that question. So I, as you know, take the piss out of myself so much. And I guess because I've been gluten-free for so long, I do literally take the piss out of myself. And you do get some reactions because I think people think you're on like a fad diet sometimes. So I've quite openly said, um, if someone's like questioning something about gluten-free, I'm like, I'll literally shit myself if I have wheat. And (laughs) you can see their reaction, like they don't know what to do or say. But I'm quite confident saying stuff like that. My mum's going to be like, cringing at this again she's already told me off for saying shat my load so much but I I think that I think I think with anything said the longer you've dealt with something the more confident you are with it do you know what I mean so I've literally had to deal with really snotty waitresses and waiters before and some people that just make comments because they do they think you're on some like diet which you're not it's like this is you have to eat this way otherwise you're going to be really ill so I think I take the mick out of myself if I have a really bad reaction I think if I think of really funny examples of how people deal with shitty waiters one of my closest friends that I've grown up with he's hilarious he's very protective over me and my illness and I've known him since I was 11 so he's known me you know since I got diagnosed and 
whenever we go to a restaurant and they ask, you know, they ask this now, don't they? Any allergies? He's so funny. He'll always butt in. And he'll say, my friend is gluten-free. It's an intolerance, not an allergy, but she's not being a dickhead. This is a disability. But he'll say it so loudly. He says it every time. And I'm like, dude, you know, we're in a tiny restaurant. Do you know what I mean? Or we're in like a coffee shop. Like everyone doesn't need to know this. Like, but he, his, his kind of reasoning for saying it is, well, you're not being a dickhead. I'm like, yeah, I know. But, you know, pe- people aren't being dickheads if they're removing gluten for other reasons either. <laughs> But, you know, he it's his little thing that he does. But I, I do have quite funny reactions sometimes. So I think, especially gluten-free, it's become quite popular, hasn't it? And I think people go gluten-free because it's, you know, gluten supposed to make you bloated and stuff, et cetera, et cetera, isn't it? And um, I think so now you do get a reaction like, mm, you know, are you, you know, is there a reason you're not gluten-free? It's a, it's a difficult one. Yeah. Yeah, I think being vegan for eight years really toughened me up to dealing with people in their comments because obviously when I was vegan and this was pre-getting diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, I just had the worst reactions from people and it was so ridiculous and even inappropriate and rude. Like I remember when I first moved into a flat in London when I had first moved over. Fucking um, Brits. <laughs> no, he was Kiwi actually. Oh, but it was my friend's boyfriend. <laughs> and he like shoved a plate of food, raw meat, in my face. Oh my God. And it was just so rude. Like they were going to barbecue it. But I'm just like, but I had that happen quite a few times over the years. People like shoved steak in my face and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't understand what you're trying to accomplish by doing this. And Thank God I had actually, so I gave up, I gave up all meat and animal products for probably like a year or two. And then I started waitressing. And at first, even just the smell of like the meat cooking in the kitchen and stuff would make me feel a bit nauseous. And it just grossed me out so much. But then I waitressed for like five years and got over that. And I was cleaning up people's dirty plates and so on and whatever. So I adjusted. So thank God by this time, I'm like, whatever, like That's I awful. serve that people every day, but it's just so inappropriate. And I think people take it as like a personal, they take it personally against them for their Mm. choice to eat meat. And then they try to convince you that you should have it or you're not getting enough protein. You're not getting enough B12, so on. And I'm like, but I'm not sitting here trying to convince you that you should go vegan. So why don't we just both go our separate ways? Like you eat all the meat (laughs) that you would like, because that's your choice. This is my body. I choose. (laughs) (laughs) This is my body and I get to choose what I put into it. So that definitely toughened me up over the years. And now being gluten-free celiac, I am, I am quite clear when I do go out to eat because mm, restaurants here at least don't take it as seriously. If you just say you prefer gluten-free versus if you say it's an allergy, it's like, no, I'm celiac. Like my stomach will start burning. Um, and it's so sore. I can just tell as soon as I've as soon as I've had any cross-contamination, I can just feel it in my stomach. It's almost like your whole, like for me, at least from my throat down, just kind of like feels like it's on fire, like this burning, like a third degree burn in my esophagus all the way down to my stomach. So yeah, it's not pleasant. So (laughs) I really don't fucking care if they have an opinion on it because I have to live with that pain. So yeah, it definitely toughened me up. And to be honest, when people have problems over things that don't really impact them in any way, 
that's their own personal issue and they just have things they need to work on <laughs> yeah it's so true though isn't it I think as well because because I've because I've seen it for, for so long now I've noticed how much easier it is now like back in the day you'd get some really really rude people like like you said like yeah. questioning why you're eating in a certain way and even like chefs and um, restaurant owners that would query why you couldn't have the sauce on something you know even if you said it's met like a medical reason it just wasn't understood but I have, have to say like within more recent times I think restaurants are, are better and really, oh, definitely. really interesting as well Sarah when I was talking to my buddies last night about you know anything that they would would talk about with friendships and relationships with with someone with an IBD one of my really good friends Charlie he sent a really sweet text and he said so Charlie's a chef um, by trade, but also runs a beautiful restaurant here in England. And um, I will obviously link it in our description of the podcast because it's awesome. And if you're in the Southwest, you must check it out. But what Charlie said was, is that I was the first person, I'm, I've known Charlie since we were teens. And I was the first person he's ever known to have a, an issue with gluten. And he said, as a result of that, when he started to become a chef, and work in venues and then subsequently start his own he was really conscious about gluten-free foods which I thought was awesome and he said it changed his mentality so he said it was a really cool thing to kind of know about from a young age because quite a lot of the chefs he trained with weren't aware of it but he he did incorporate that into when he was kind of head chef in in a variety of venues and and his restaurant now that I eat in regularly is amazing that they tweak the whole menu for any dietary requirements and I think that and you can you know you can see that it's brilliant but I thought that was really cool that he he sent that through last night what was the name of the restaurant Jamaica street stores brilliant amazing place when I come to see you I will amazing place in Bristol if you love good food (laughs) good cocktails it's awesome well Cass definitely likes her cocktails (laughs) (laughs) they do a great Negroni (laughs) oh I do love a Negroni (laughs) I think we might be on our last question and this is circling back to relationships how to broach the subject of having an IBD with a new partner Oh, I like that question. Um, so I, mine's always come out quite naturally. So I don't know if we've gone out for food or I've gone over to theirs for food. And, you know, again, like we just said, you tend to ask people now, don't you, if there's anything you can't eat or whatever, or if, if you, if you eat meat or not, that's quite a common question. I think if I've said, oh, I'm gluten-free, people always say, have you got celiacs now? I think celiacs is a really common thing that people are more aware of now. So what, what, usually happens is I say, no, I haven't got CDS, I've got Crohn's. And that's literally where it comes from, to be honest. I, I think it just comes out naturally at the start whenever we're ordering food. I think that's pretty much whenever I've kind of introduced the topic of me having Crohn's is just when someone said, oh, Cass, you know, how come you're gluten-free or how come you're eating a different me- from a different menu or whatever? And then the conversation just, you know, you have some people that are really interested in other people that don't ask too many questions until a later date. And again, I think it's like going back to what we said earlier in the episode, isn't it? I think some people know what to say and feel comfortable and confident with what to say and others don't. And I've noticed that with relationships and friendships. And I guess that's their own experience, isn't it? So I've had some partners that have had other previous girlfriends with with not necessarily an IBD but other health conditions so that they're quite open and happy to talk about stuff and then I've got some other partners that 
I think felt a little bit awkward of what to say at the beginning and then as they obviously get to know me and my personality know that they can ask me anything (laughs) and I'm not a sensitive little bunny me Um, but yeah I think with me that's that's always the way I I broach the subject it usually comes from food because I'm usually eating (laughs) yeah I definitely think it is one that gets brought up at least at a high level with food when you have a limited diet and just kind of throw it out there see how they react depending on the situation obviously you can go into a bit more detail or just say however much you feel comfortable with depending on how close you are to that person at the time so it's not like a first, second, third date, and you don't want to go into too much detail. If you have, if you have a pretty complex medical history, then I would just keep it really high level and whatever you feel comfortable saying. And then if it continues on, you can obviously get more into detail and explain it a bit more, but I just wouldn't worry about it too much, to be honest. No, for the most part, I think it's something that if you are seeing somebody and things are going well, then the fact that you do have an IBD shouldn't be too big of a concern. Obviously Cass and I are in a quite healthy state at the moment, but even previously, I, I never really went into much detail. So I kept it quite high level, to be honest with all of my previous partners. So we're going to wrap it up for today, guys, but I think it's really important to surround yourself with amazing people. Uh, Whether this is people you've known all your life, whether this is new friends, whether this is the IBD community yourself, And I think it's just, if you, if you're finding that your friends and family or partners aren't really understanding your illness, just speak to them, explain what you're struggling with in relation to maybe your communication or their communication and their understanding and what you kind of need a bit more from them. Um, But yeah, you deserve awesome people in your life. And as we know, when you've got amazing people who can support you, um, that will always make you feel so much better physically and psychologically, but yeah. Love you guys and can't wait to catch up next week.